admit, I don't know this, but I want to learn it. Can you help me with this? You'd be surprised how many contractors will get in over their heads because they just didn't want to ask that one question because they thought we would think less of them. But actually, we think more of them. When you are coming on a project for us and you think you need to be paid quicker than, say, our client is going to pay you, I'd rather you have that conversation with me up front and we figure out how we can work it out. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special video panel discussion hosted by Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I am Adam Moore here with Chloe Goodry-Reed and a panel of guests. And in today's episode, we are pulling back the curtain on supplier diversity to bring you insights from big corporations on how they select diverse suppliers. Joining us today are three amazing guests. Curtis Crowder, Head of Global Supplier Diversity, Sustainability, and Innovation at Pfizer. Chris Oswald, Vice President of Global Supplier Diversity at UPS. And Michonne Sawyer, a Senior Diversity Equity and Inclusion Manager at JE Dunn Construction. They are here to share best practices with us today and innovative tips for leveraging your diversity and gaining access to corporate procurement opportunities. Today, we're also joined by a live virtual audience. So give give yourselves an applause. Uh, Our first live show, if you will, in the history of our podcast of diverse suppliers who are going to get to ask questions of our past during the second half of our episode today. So welcome, everyone. This is so exciting. Like I said, it's a first for the podcast. Great to have all of you here today with us. And so thank you for giving us some of your time. Yes, this is so exciting. I am looking forward to diving in and appreciate all the guests who are joining us for this very important conversation. Let's first get started with brief introductions from each of you. Tell us about what you do and your respective companies. Yep. We'll, I'll start in order here. Um, Michan, we'll let you start, and then Chris, and then Curtis. Why did I know I was going to end up being first? <laughs> well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm really excited to be here with the Higher Ground team again. I am the Senior Regionals. Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Manager for JE Dunn Construction. I cover supplier diversity as well as internal diversity for workforce for JE Dunn in the East region and for healthcare and aviation across the country. Um, So I'm really excited to be here. So, Michelle, it's great to to hear from you. And of course, Chloe and Adam, it's it's always a pleasure. I'm a big fan of the the uh, Breaking Barriers podcast. So to be asked to come back is fantastic. And of course, I'm a fan of Curtis as well. So this is a great group. You know, I represent UPS. I am the Vice President of Global Supplier Diversity at UPS, uh, where I've worked for over 33 years now, uh, and the last five years focused on, on supplier diversity. But, you know, my role is, as you would expect, I'm responsible for for global supplier diversity, which means we have a highly centralized uh, procurement function at UPS, uh, which means we work with them to make sure we're finding and developing diverse suppliers, making sure we're measuring our spend accurately, making sure we're impacting economic inclusion the way that we want to. 
and and then just lead that for our our global organization. I have a fantastic team that I work with, and uh, thrilled to uh, to talk about how we can uh, connect with some more diverse suppliers today. So thanks for having me. We'll kick it over to you, Curtis. All right. So good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Curtis Crowder. And I lead global supplier diversity here at Fiserv. Um, for those of you that do not uh, know of Fiserv, Fiserv is a global payments company. We uh, move money or help facilitate the movement uh, of money around the world. So uh, relative to geography is uh, all regions where Fiserv operates, whether it's uh, North America, South America, UK, EMEA, and Asia, Asia Pac. And uh, similar to uh, Chris, we do have an extremely centralized uh, procurement operations here. And my role is to make sure that we're capturing spend, uh, looking at that data, forming insights uh, accurately and uh, intentionally identifying uh, suppliers of diverse categories to bring it our, uh, into our supply chain uh, to make sure we're in impacting communities uh, and driving sustainability. So thanks for having me, glad to be here. That is wonderful. Thank you guys again. So what are some of the key factors that corporations like yours consider when evaluating whether to work with a certain supplier over another? And in this case, you guys oversee supplier diversity, so diverse suppliers for potential procurement opportunities. And I'm glad you sort of highlighted that in your question that, you know, the key factors we look at for a diverse supplier are the same key factors we're going to look at for any supplier. So um, it is it is key across the board that we think about that and and if you sort you set aside for a second you know the the unique value proposition that a, that any company is going to bring to a to a problem or a solution that we need it really is about I would say starting with certain level of security so there is the mm -hmm. idea that any partner we go into business with especially when you think about working with large corporations like the three I've represented here. We need to make sure we're working with people who can meet our commitments and make sure that we show up the way we need to for our employees and for our customers. So business continuity is a really important factor, right? Is this business yes. able to execute on you know, what they're committing to do? And do they have enough you know, um, maturity around their plans and their operation to be able to handle fluctuations in the market, fluctuations in uh, the supply chain, et cetera, that are going to impact them. So, you know, that type of security, and maybe I'll throw in one more thing before I let the, the rest of the group jump in. You know, there's also the, the uh, data security, the technical security. So when we're working with companies that we're, and I'm sure Pfizer is going to be all over this one, you know, we need to make sure that we've got our data protected and our technology protected. So the maturity of companies around all things related security is really a, you know, table stakes to come in and to be able to work with a company mm -hmm. like UPS. Yeah, I'll jump in here. Um, great comments, Chris, and great to start it off this way. I think suppliers should be focused on what's important to the companies they're engaging. Because similar to what Chris mentioned, we are market-focused, customer-focused, client-focused, and employee-focused. So we look at how we can make our commitments to the market and we look to suppliers to help us do that. So you have to be able to scale. You have to be able to operate. Uh, there, you have to be able to deliver equal leading to better right, outcomes relative to services and products, uh, goods and services. Those are just the table stakes. 
uh, and there is a rigorous analysis. I serve in particular. We also look for adjacency. Have you performed well in industries relative to where we are, whether it's banking, financial services, financial uh, technologies, insurance, other regulated industries to where there are high stakes for security, high stakes for transmission of data, uh, high stakes for protection of all of that information, even as it relates to global guidelines as know your customer, fraud, anti-money laundering, right? lots of things, not to go down the rabbit hole, but we're looking for scale and performance. That's, that's as easy as it gets. Okay. Well, I will say good comments from both of my, my counterparts here and everything they said, but because I'm working in construction, things are slightly different for us. And I, I am really blessed to have been working in this industry as a DE&I professional for 21 years now. So, so that gives us a different slant, but we not only look at the type of things that my counterparts are looking for, we, we do pay attention for that and the types of companies so that when we have an opportunity to hire a printer or a marketing specialist or a photographer or things like that, that comes in the hand. But a lot of our focus is on the construction project. So one of the things that we try to do is, number one, I'm intentional about it. And my counterparts across the country are the same. We try to find those contractors that are looking to work in the commercial space because that's what we do. We don't do residential housing. We're focused on commercial the commercial industry. But we're also looking to see how we can help them grow. And so some of the opportunities that we might find might be lower tiered. So it might be that you're not going to contract directly with me, but I can work as a facilitator to make introductions for you to contract with some of our contractors with the idea being we can help your business to grow capacity. And one of the things that we focus on a lot here in JE, at JE Dunn is we're trying to put diverse suppliers on every project. We're not just looking for those where the government or the, the client has a goal. We're trying to be intentional about that and to build those relationships. And one of the things that I pride myself on doing is not only making sure that I'm bringing contractors into my company, but I'm also introducing them to my counterparts at other companies. We share information. So like if somebody's doing a great job for me, I'm going to call my friends at Turner and Balfour Beatty and Glassville and Gorey and Clark Construction, you know, wherever and say, oh, my God, we had this amazing opportunity. So those are the things. But what we're looking for, we're looking for someone who's humble, hungry and smart. We want those companies humble, that are hungry and hungry. smart. Yes, we want them to be humble. We want them to be able to admit I don't know this, but I want to learn it. Can you help me with this? You'd be surprised how many contractors will get in over their heads because they just didn't want to ask that one question because they thought we would think less of them. But actually, we think more of them. When you are coming on a project for us and you think you need to be paid quicker than, say, our client is going to pay you, I'd rather you have that conversation with me up front and we figure out how we can work it out. So we're looking for those that are interested in being partners, that are interested in doing great jobs and that are going to work with integrity. And then I also I want I'm looking for that commercially useful function, too. I'm not trying to work with that contractor who's just there to be the pass through. 
I want that guy who is trying to figure out how he actually does business and not just serves as that minority partner. Right. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's something that you always struggle with in the supplier diversity realm, right? Is, is this just a pass through operation or I really dealing with the people that are doing the work? So I think that's a a, a great call out, but I'd like to go back to something Curtis said real fast and scalability. I think that was an interesting call out. And I know all three of you, we've, we've talked to you guys on our show before and scalability in one form or fashion has come up. And, and I think that's a critical point because as we're recording this episode, you know, the economy and downturns and, and layoffs has been a huge topic. I was reading an article just before we jumped on the show today about what's going to be happening with Disney and some other companies. So let's talk about scalability for a second, because some of our suppliers that are in audience with us today or could be listening on the podcast later are like, scalability sounds great, but what do you mean by that? Because I'm right now, maybe I'm only 20 people, but I could scale to 50, 60, 70 if needed. So talk to us a little bit about when we say scalability from a supplier diversity standpoint, what are we asking you to do, respond, or be prepared to do, right? Because when we say scalability, it can be a, a, a myriad of different options. So a little bit more insight on that for us today, if you guys don't mind. And I'm sure Curtis is looking at me video going, yep. I am so glad I said that word to you, Adam, because <laughs> that's the one you jumped on. Yeah, because I would just say, and if I can just piggyback, is how do these suppliers demonstrate that to you guys? Like, Thank you, they- yes. That's really what we want to know. I mean, I think we all understand what scalability means, but in these conversations and they're approaching you, how do they then articulate or demonstrate that I do have the scalability to do these projects or to do whatever it is that they're trying to contract with you around? Yeah, exactly. I want to tie in your comments, Chloe, with your question, Adam, and something that LaShawn mentioned earlier. So... In terms of factors that corporations are looking for, when you show up, there are subjective factors as well in terms of when you show up to take this meeting, what's the maturity level of the company in terms of how you present yourself, your capabilities, your scope, and even the questions that you ask in helping to unearth the opportunity. And that can even translate to scalability. Scalability just means capacity. Do you have the capacity to perform the work from the smallest to the largest? And companies that are focused on scale are wondering what that scale is and how it impacts their operations and their cash flow and their ability to perform. They'll ask the right questions relative to scale. Mm -hmm. They won't just say, Oh, yeah, sign us up. Let's do business right away. We'd love to have a contact with you. Mm-hmm. Okay, they'll say, okay, <laughs> let's, let's, ask, let's ask a few questions, right, in terms of when's peak time, when's downtime, is mm-hmm. it cyclical, is it, is it quarterly, right? And on all of our industries are different, but we all have some measure of scale relative to, or should I say capacity and what it looks like on a good day, on a medium day, uh, on a bad day, bad day being the highest. So the maturity level of the company in that introduction and ongoing meetings and those discovery sessions highlight or gives us insight to if you can handle capacity or even if you're thinking that way. 
because we're thinking about capacity and scale all the time because it provides, it introduces a risk into the supply chain. If you can't scale, there's risk. If it's risk to the supply chain, there's risk to the stakeholders, risk to the customers, risk to the employee. So scale equals capacity. Everything he said, he nailed it. Also, I think for us, a lot of times it means bonding capacity in construction. You know, like if there's something goes wrong, you know, is he already committed so much of his his bonding capacity to something else? Or does he have the labor? Right now, we're, we're everybody's experiencing a massive labor shortage. And it's it's hard everywhere. But one of the things because most of the stuff we do here, especially in the Southeast, we don't have those large unions training people either. So how does a small company find the people that they need to work on a project? You know, are they going to have, and if you're a small contractor, you got, you might have one or two superintendents that you're keeping on, but depending on how many jobs you're working at the time, we're looking at Does he have enough people to be able to lay this draw, to put the drywall up or to to build the cabinetry? You know, how many projects are you working on right now? And do you have sufficient employees? I know one thing we find like a lot of times there are labor organizations that are working. But one of the things that I would like to see is more training for smaller contractors to have and larger ones like myself. But for smaller contractors to be able to go and say, I need three experienced carpenters, where do I go to get them? Or I need three, three guys who can handle, you know, masonry or whatever it is and know that they're getting experienced people. And that's where I see we've got a big gap with scalability and the ability for, for contractors to grow. If I'm a l- large contractors like us, we've got our own internal training programs. And we can afford, because we're larger, to pay for that. But if you're a smaller emerging business, that's a big challenge for you. So we're trying to create ways to grow, to help contractors grow by trying to create projects where they can do some on-the-job training, where they, they can use those supervisors they have and they have a new person and we allow them to train that person as they go. But Sooner or later, I think we're sooner, I preferably later, I'm hoping that there are some places that a way that we can work with larger and smaller contractors together to pool our resources to create that pipeline of people. And I think that will help a lot with scalability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe one, one quick thing I might add is, um, and the example I'll use is in electric vehicle charging, Right. So imagine the future of how much electrical vehicle charging infrastructure is needed. And yes, we're going to need that, too. But there, there are not a lot of big companies yet. These are a lot of emerging companies in this space that specialize in these systems and designing them and installing them and maintaining them and so forth. So as we're talking to a lot of these companies sort of getting ready for the future, you know, they're not big enough today to scale on their own. But what many of them will do is they're going to bring their the partners they've identified to the table and in the conversation early. So as we're developing a relationship and a trust with the EV company, charging company who we're talking to, they're saying, hey, here is the network of electricians that we bring in and let me bring in somebody who leads that. And here is the network of, you know, construction that we bring in when we need to do that. 
And when we get to know their partners as well, so that and we we understand the relationship between them, so that we understand how they can scale together. And so that's you know we 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 can't just have a relationship necessarily with one company and just sort of trust this massive network behind them that we don't get to know. We need right. to know the right. network is there. <laughs> right, hundred no, percent. I love that. The other big question that you always get, right? And now that I have spent time on the corporate side and the MBE side, you know, I used to ask this question all the time and that's, you know, what's your value proposition? What is that? That's kind of setting you apart from the others. I used to ask that all the time as a corporate. And now when I got it, when I was on the MBE side, I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. (laughs) Love this question, right? (laughs) Dying on my own sword. So what are some of the things that our suppliers can do when asked that question, right? Because that's the dreaded question. What's your value prop, right? And especially if you're in something like, you know, the industry uh, that I was in was contingent labor and staff off, right? They're a dime a dozen. I'm sure, Michonne, you see that all the time in construction too, right? Uh, it's, uh, it's almost a bloating, right, of, of particular skill sets. Yet, you still have to be able to differentiate yourself. Even if you're a unique company, you still have to be able to show that value prop. So what are some of the things you guys have seen? You've asked that ubiquitous question, right? What are some of the things, answers, responses that you've gotten that has been kind of like, oh, that was that's kind of what I was looking for. That set them apart. What are some of the things that our audience can think about as they're approaching the corporate, knowing they're going to get that question that they can respond with or think about responding or maybe put in place? Capital. Okay. I had never heard that. I like that though, Michonne. I yeah. wish I had thought about that. No, you know, some one of the big things that I find is a real differentiator for a company. If I see a company and he's telling me that he's got the capital to staff up, that he's got the ability to pay his workforce, it's it's all of that. And so if I find that guy that's got that capital, that's a, that's a differentiator. The guy who, who is ready to and eager to learn is a big differentiator. I mean, one of the things that we've offered sometimes is for a company when we're going after work. So that means like we haven't run, won a contract, but we're doing some pre-con you know, for a potential client, you know, so we're working freely, freely, you know, we're going to help them decide how they're going to scope this project, how they want to do it. And they come to us and we're providing free, free time to, to do that on the hopes that we'll get the project. That minority or woman owned company that comes to me and say, can we shadow you on that? And is willing to put in that sweat equity, that guy, I'm never going to forget them. I'm never going to forget them. And even if we don't win that, I'm calling that guy or that woman afterwards and saying, when are we going to work together again? And I'm looking for opportunities. So we're looking for those companies that are willing to work to shore us up, to make us stronger. That company that's willing to stand beside us, like, you know, I, and I'll use a military thing who's, who's, in, who's fighting alongside us going through, you know, they're, they're, they're there, they're in the trenches. And those are the ones that we're going to remember and want to call back. That's a big differentiator for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would add is that when I, when I meet with a business who is approaching me as a as a solution to my problem, so they they're they're not approaching me necessarily with whatever great thing that they have, but they've already thought through, you know, how that's going to be a unique solver to my problem. And the example I had recently is I've got a I got a call from a, a business or an email actually from a business 
you know, who has developed a unique type of grease, right? We need grease in our vehicles, right? And he's like, you know, I supply, I've been supplying grease forever, but I've developed this new, I'm looking for a partnership because this grease has all these advantages. And I'm sure that, you know, UPS, like other companies, has problems with, you know, disposing of used grease or whatever is, you know, it gets got kind of technical on me pretty quick. But, you know, this is someone who thought about what it's like to be in our automotive service area and what you do with this problem and had an innovation he wanted to talk about. He wasn't talking about selling us anything at this point. He just said, I know UPS must want to be on the forefront of this. And I'd love to have a conversation with somebody who knows about Greece. And we set that up because I thought that was a, that was a great way to come in and, and talk about how you can solve a problem for us and not just, you know, tell me about Greece without putting it in the context of why that's a problem for us. Great comments. I think it's all about the approach. And I say this having also been a diverse supplier for a significant number of years. Uh, with that, I would say be clear, be concise, and be candid in terms about where you are in the marketplace, what you can do, what you do not do, and how you do it. Upon a first meeting or so, uh, to Chris's point, you, doesn't, you don't necessarily know what that corporation's problem is. But if you open yourself up to the discovery and understanding the system in which everything works, right, how they go to market, how decisions are made, then you can talk about a capability and, and get to understand, is it something that aligns to how you perform? So I'll, I'll use, uh, Adam, to your example, uh, IT staffing. IT staffing happens all the time. Uh, staffing companies say, Curtis, we can do this for you. We can place these people. We can, they'll stick, you know, no turnover, no attrition. Like, well, you and about 20 other people are saying the same thing. That talent pool is finite. It does not change. It's finite. Uh, the war for talent, as they call it. However, are you focused on a particular technology or platform? If you are, what have you seen in the marketplace? Right, where have you been successful? Do you have any methodologies or frameworks that you use to help deliver better ROI right, or less attrition as compared to saying we can get you the best people? Because we respond to our stakeholders. We may have a stakeholder in data and analytics that needs something different than app dev. We may have someone in app dev that needs something different than cyber, right? Or automation or pipeline creation. Uh, we may have networking needs or infrastructure needs. So don't be a generalist. Be specific and focused as it relates to how you can possibly help, but before saying that you can help, know what we do, right? If you say you can help, but then you say Pfizer and respond to and say Pfizer instead of Pfizer, I will, I will, uh -huh. know, <laughs> I will know very clearly you have not done your research on the you company. I'll never forget. I was at NMSDC. This is when I was still with uh, SunTrust. 
have a huge banner behind me. It says SunTrust Bank. I'm standing there. I have somebody come up to me, standing in front of me. I'm in front of the banner and they go, SunTrust, what do you all do? And I'm like, oh, we're my. a bank, you know? <laughs> so, yes. And and the other thing, Curtis, I, I'm, I think Curtis and I are just going to have a conversation today. We all have smartphones, right? Take five seconds and Google Pfizer, Google J.E. Dunn, Google UPS. What are they saying in the news? Right. It's all there. Yahoo, guys, is your best friend. It will tell you what these guys are thinking and what they're looking for. And they'll give you the new prop like Chris and the Grease explanation. It's out there. Just look for it. Yeah. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. You can ask the next question. Thank you, Adam. I just wanted to give you all a five-minute warning to maybe get one more question out, and then I want to start taking some of the questions from the attendees because we have quite a few now. Great. I wanted to just ask, you know, how important we talked about, and Adam just mentioned this as well, being at a conference, how important is networking and relationship building? Um, We talked about demonstrating your scalability, sharing your performance, deeply understanding the partners that they're working with. And all of that is part of the relationship building process. But how important is that to you guys and to your organization as you're trying to find various solutions and determine whether you want to work with a particular It's crucial. It's crucial. I mean, because especially in construction, and there's such a long history in construction of minorities not being having the door open, especially minorities and women in particular, um, being being shut out of that industry, we're trying to convince people to do business with a company that they've never worked with before when they've got Joe Smith, who's always done a wonderful job, you know, and helped me with that plumbing. But I'm trying to tell them they've got to do something different. You need to come in. You need to come. You need to meet. And one of the things that I try to do is to facilitate that. I make introductions for those minority and women-owned businesses. They come in, but those that come in, and I'll give you an example. We've got a guy, we've got Cinco de Mayo coming up, right? One of our key minority-owned businesses, he does, it's called the Paint Doctor. Archie is a bar none, a, a just amazing. But every year, for the past couple of years, he throws a Cinco de Mayo party at my office. That's awesome. And I'm looking for my invite. Right. (laughs) But he comes in, he brings his staff, his superintendents, his people. Mm -hmm. He introduces them to our people so that when they're thinking, I can tell you, he's working in healthcare, he's working in aviation for us, he's working in commercial, whatever department it is, the first painting companies that we're going to send a notice to bid out to is, is, is paint doctor. Because everybody knows him and he goes through that effort of doing that, just coming by, you know, meeting people, shaking hands, taking a couple of people to lunch. So having those kinds of one on one relationships, it really helps. And the, and those contractors that are that are working to build that, even if I don't have something for them, I'm thinking about who I can introduce them to. Yeah, mm-hmm. staying top of mind is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, building that trust and that rapport for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Well, the key is, you know, we can't always control the timing. 
So, you know, single introduction is a is a, a shot in the dark because right. mm-hmm. there, there may not be a need in the business right now that may not be where we're focusing, or it may be where there's a need, but I don't know it at the time, right? I haven't, right. Made, I haven't gotten all my connections yet. So for me, that that networking piece and, and staying connected is about being ready when the opportunity comes. And, and to Vashon's point, sometimes I'll know it's an opportunity with UPS, or I may introduce you to another, another company that I know the opportunity exists at. So it's about it's about being available when the opportunity is there because you you can't control that, you know, and and so you've just got to you've got to be sort of in the right place at the right time to some extent, you know, the, the networking and staying involved in these you know organizations and, and being there helps you be in the right place at the right time and, and there's no there's no denying that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be in the room. So think about where we are now. I, coming out of COVID, these are perfect times to increase your networking because there's pent-up demand for face-to-face interaction and it's happening. Conferences are full, showcases are full, uh, meet the buyer is full, right? And And it's also where you should look to enhance your soft skills. So soft skill, and it's it's not really talked about, you know, as compared to what do you do? How do you do it? Where do you do it? But how do you create rapport with supplier diversity leaders? How do you create rapport with other team members of companies? It's really how, how do you sell, right? How do you introduce yourself? How are you asking your open-ended question? How are you mapping or outlining the company and how they go to market and make decisions? To Chris's statement... The time may not be now, right? The commodity may not be now or or the need may not be now, but it's coming. And maybe you need to understand the system in which you're operating to know when that time is going to be. And you won't be able to get any of that feedback back if you haven't created a relationship with with that prospect company. So it's an issue with soft soft skills also, right? It's huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And be nice. Be, be nice. Be nice. So, <laughs> yes. From a from a networking yes. perspective, yes. people have. How many times have you guys gotten? I get I get these cold emails from people. You know, like, hi, I can help your company do this, and I can help your company do that, and I can tell it's something they sent to like five hundred people, and if I don't need it right now, I don't even bother to respond because I get like two hundred emails a day, so I'm not responding to you. Don't right back to me. Did you not see my previous email? I want to sell you a shoe shine, you know, and it's like, yeah. okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And all that does is make me hit delete because I'm never going to, even if I do end up needing that shoe shine, I'm never calling you now because you were snippy. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a great segue into let's see. Everyone has submitted. We have quite a few questions. We have about 12 questions and about 20 minutes to get through them. So it looks like our attendees are trying to network and ask and speak up and I'm excited. So I'm going to give you guys the first question. Mashawn, Blackhawk Data works with construction on the IT side. However, when we're partnering as a sub, The pre-qualification process typically directs us to a portal and an additional request financials COIs. 
is this also the way J.E. Dunn works through a prequal process? Sometimes we do all of this work and then it's kind of just sits there. So that's a concern when submitting financials. I would agree with that 100%, to be honest. Um, it's automatic when you go through the prequal, they're going to ask. But with the, when you're going with a company like ours, or, and I would say like with most major construction companies, most of the time we're handling 98% of that in-house. So your end for us is going to be on a lower tier, right? So what I'm looking for from you, you don't need to go through that. Most companies aren't going to require you to go through the prequal if you're going to not if you're not going to be contracting directly with them. So if you're not going to be contracting directly with JE Dunn and you really want to figure out how do you facilitate getting on some project because you heard about it with us, I would encourage you reach out to somebody like me or our pre-con person and say, this is what I supply. You know, this is what I can do. Are there any opportunities to contract directly with you? And if not, please introduce me. Can we talk or can we meet? And I'll be honest, I'll take that meeting with you. I'll sit down with you for 30 minutes and figure out where you fit because you've shown me the initiative. And I'm trying to figure out if Maybe I should be introducing you to some of our project teams because we need that. Or if there's somebody who's already doing something on our project where you can help. But for a lot of the majors, especially with IT support, we don't always need it. So we're not always thinking. So we, I don't want you going through submitting financials if it's not something we, can, we, can, we really need. So I, I think a conversation would be good effort. Can I jump in on the last part of that question, if you don't mind? It's, it's relative to uh, financial information. So, a lot, many times, supplier diversity professionals ask companies, "What are your revenues?" Right? I've, I've done this many times at a conference where I, I just walk the floor, walk up to a booth, uh, start having a conversation. I'll ask, "What are your revenues?" Companies will say, uh, "Ask, are you are you an LLC, LLP, C corp, S corp election?" The response is, "Well, we're a privately held company, and we do not have to provide our revenues." In my mind, I've immediately said, "You do not want to do business with our company." So that statement is, "Trust trust the supplier diversity professional." to take care of the information or safeguard the information that you give them. And if they're asking questions back to you, they're thinking about how to make an introduction for you and be a champion for you within the organization. That is so true. And that's a great point, guys. And something else I'd like to add in there too is don't be surprised when you're asked for audited financials too. Yes. We know that's expensive, but you have to remember as a supplier diversity professional, we're one of the risk gatekeepers, if you will, to our organization. So we have a responsibility not just to add diverse suppliers, but also in that we have to make sure that we're not introducing undue risk into the organizations, right? So those questions are important. I, I know it hurts, um, but it's something you have to think about when doing business with companies of, of this size. One one of the things, let me clarify, for J.E. Dunn, we don't, I might ask you what level, I, I want to know that, but I might not ask that particular, when it comes to submitting financials and stuff like that, we've got a core team that looks at that stuff, keeps it confidential, I never get to see that, um, and, and I don't need to, but at the same time, 
if what I tell a, a, a smaller business is like, if you're getting to the point and you're going through the prequal and they're asking you for something that you feel is cost prohibitive, like those financials, I'm going to work with our risk management team and see if there's something we can take as an alternative to that. My whole point is I'm not trying to be, I, I, I want to be as inclusive as possible. And if I feel like, like I said, there's a company who's not going to be ready to produce all that, one of the things I will do is say, let me put you on our bid list and let you know what's coming on. And then you can reach out to some of the other larger contractors and maybe partner like what Chris brought up earlier. Thank you guys so much for answering that question. So our next question is, how do you all address suppliers that are true software providers, not staffing? I find that supplier diversity leaders are more comfortable with staffing, consulting services, or products. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question because in my five years of doing this, it, it's taken me a couple, two, three years to get, to get some comfort level talking to uh, software providers, developers. And it's still a tough area. You know, if it's not the area that, that, that you work in yourself, it can be a little complex. What helped me is in conversations with a couple of potential suppliers and with our own function is to really understand the language that our organization uses and how we develop our own software. And it became very clear to me that, that you know, we're looking for finished products that we can use. We're looking for integrators that can integrate the systems that we're using. And we're looking for staffing companies. And so when they can, you know, sort of focus it down to what types of, of software products are we looking for, that really helped me have more meaningful conversations with developers around, is that a space that they work in or not? But it is, it's tough. And I would say that the number one thing those uh, those diverse companies could do is help educate the supplier diversity folks on how this works because it is we need to be you know generalist in our knowledge to be able to find a supplier and connect them to the right place in the organization and if you're someone like me understanding IT development and software products is uh is something that you know a little education goes a long way that and then make sure we need it i guess that's the only thing i would add to what chris is saying like for us we might need like a, a we need a tracking system to track our supplier diversity. That is one of the things we're looking at. So you know that companies now are tracking their supplier diversity. So go in and say, I've got this system that's going to help you. I met a a, a group called um, what is it, the Headcount when I was working in Chicago, and they knew in Chicago it's really stiff to count uh, your workforce. Everything has certified payrolls, but on top of that, in Chicago, they're really focusing on race, gender, ethnicity, neighborhood, all of that, and they wanted to be able to track that, and how do you make it easier? These guys came in, and they figured out a way for us to track it live. No one else was doing that. So I wanted to hear that, and yeah, they're minority-owned, and and. I love the software, but that's how they got in the door because they basically came in and said, we know how to make your life easier. I love that. Chris McCann from Inclusive Diversity. What initiatives within ESG should a permanent recruiting firm solve in your opinion? What solutions are you looking for from a direct staffing firm in relation to ESG? So because of SEC reporting, 
most, if not all, Fortune 500 companies and higher are focused on ESG and capturing data, starting their ESG journey, uh, maturing it. I would say we're not looking for, in general, help from a, a staffing company in the way of people or fulfilling roles. Is how can you help companies get to the outcome of driving impact and sustainability? That's what rolls up to ESG, right? So from a supplier diversity perspective, uh, it's the social, right? It's the social or S in ESG, right? Because most companies are working with larger consultancies, whether it's an EY or KPMG, Ecovatis and others relative to capturing a lot of this ESG data and outputs and maturity level. So it's, it's, not, it's not this tactical view of what we can do, it's how can you help along the journey to grow and capture all of these metrics and report it upward. That, from an ESG perspective, it's, it's not tactical, it's strategic, it's really high and lofty and aspirational. Thank you so much. How can IT solutions provider show they are hungry, humble, smart, and willing to show the sweat equity or shadow? I think this is a great question. And I also quoted this earlier. (laughs) Oh, I knew that was going to bite me. For JE Dunn, to be honest, we keep most of our IT in-house. But just in general, I think from an IT professional, like I think Chris said it earlier, A lot of companies are still trying to find their way. And what you bring to the table is a unique skill set that some of us may not get. And so if I'm a smaller company or not, if I'm not employing that in-house, I'm trying to see that you're trying to meet whatever needs. Like I just talked about with the headcount, they knew what we were suffering from. There were other companies that were giving us the data, but they were giving it to us from payrolls. The headcount came to us and said, look, we're going to track this live with RFID cards as people enter your job sites. And what that they answered a, a question that I didn't even know was a possibility to come up with an answer because I just hadn't thought about that. But what, it, what they gave us that the other companies weren't giving us, the IT companies that we were using to track our, our data was that they were going to give it to us live. And the way they saw that was they knew that the elected officials in Chicago were asking for that. And so they left and were like, okay, we got this. And so when they came to us, they were like, we're going to do something for you that this other company isn't. This is our solution. And by the way, it's not going to cost you any more than you're already paying. And so they came with a unique solution. And that's what I see for IT people. It's how do you show us that you're going to fix it so we can use fewer man hours or people hours. I'm sorry, I use man hours, Um, but people hours to do this. How are you going to make, how are you going to save me money? How are you building efficiencies into my building processes? Yeah, that's a great, a great, a great way to describe it. I had a, a, a diverse company that came to me recently, IT company. They had a, you know, they had a specific product, and what they asked for was they said, "Can we have just a brainstorming call on potential use cases for this product? You know, in, in 15, 20 minutes, I can you know give you an idea what this product does, and we can brainstorm if there are use cases in your company that we might want to explore." 
And the answer might be, no, there aren't any. I can't, can't really see where that goes. Or in this case, the answer was, wow, I never thought about this type of solution helping us in these different areas of the business. And all of a sudden that opened up to all these people produce this company to that are not necessarily IT people. They're the business people that have the business problem that they can solve. So, you know, I think it was that it was that that openness to say, I've got a solution, I've got a couple ideas of use cases at UPS, but I would just love to brainstorm with you so we can see if this is worth pursuing. I love that approach. And it was very effective. Same. I love that is that. amazing. Yeah, Curtis mentioned that as well. And I just want to just kind of highlight that is, you know, brainstorming sessions and also discovery with supplier diversity professionals is really important, particularly when before they introduce you to any of the business unit heads or category managers, these are the internal champions and advocates for these organizations. And it's best if you approach it that way. Thank you so much. And this is a perfect segue. So the next question is, how do we find the best point of entry and grow a relationship with the right person inside your organization and share more about our services and how they might support your business goals and needs? Well, I can say one of the things we're trying to do at JE Dunn now, my, my commitment for 2023 is to host lunch and learns. So like when I meet a company and when I'm out and about, I'll meet a company and I want to introduce them to our project managers, our engineers, and the guys and, and women who really build these things, I'll bring them in and let, and you come in and you talk about yourself. But as, as Curtis brought up earlier, and I think, and Chris echoed it, you need to meet me. You need to seek us out, come to the events, participate. I can't say it more than anything else. Number one, get certified. Get certified because if you're certified, you're in a database and I'm going to find you occasionally um, if I'm searching those databases for certain things. But the other thing is interact in the larger communities. Join the GMSDC, join uh, NAMAC, which is the National Association of Minority Contractors, join NAWIC, um, the National Association of Women in Construction, participate in those groups. And if you participate in those groups, they're having events. The Department of, of Aviation hosts all kinds of events constantly. You might not learn from that, but come. I mean, my company's offering a healthcare learning series where we're trying to take those contractors that are already working in the construction industry, but want to get into healthcare because healthcare is more competitive. It's, it's unique. It's a little harder, more paperwork, you know, all of that. I left it on, um, I publicized it on LinkedIn. I publicized it on several things. I think I got seven people to shot to sign up. Where are you? It's free. And I'm like, it's free. And, and one of the things that I put when I posted it was we're looking to introduce you to our clients in healthcare. We're looking to introduce you with those teams that build it. So even if you think you know everything there is to know about healthcare, and I'm going to bring up that paint doctor again, Archie doesn't need that. But guess what? He signed up. Right. Because. Yes, it's a program that meets for five, it's five meetings over, a, you know, once a week for like a period of a couple of months. And Archie signed up and I called him like, Archie, do you really need this? And he's like, am I going to meet people I don't know? 
And I'm like, well, perhaps. And he goes, well, then, yeah, I need this. We're looking for more than more like more stuff like that. I'm like, it's a free program. And I get seven people in the state to sign up. Come on. You know, and it's something that Chloe and I have talked about on our show all the time. It's all about relationship. If we build the relationship first and I have a relationship with you, we'll find a way to do business together. I think that's even something Curtis kind of touched on too earlier. Yes. It is about relationship. That is sometimes the differentiator. Sometimes the differentiator is just, oh, I like Chloe better than Adam. Uh, Maybe I'm going to do business with Chloe, right? It can come down to that. It does come down to that. I mean, people might not want to admit it, but it does come down to that. It's like I met this this guy and he was sharp. You know, I ran into this 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 woman at this event and boy, was she fierce. I'm trying to figure out how we connect again. I mean, it it matters anytime you can put yourself in the room, because honestly, I'm tired of seeing those cold emails. Come, come, you know, let me tell you what I can teach you, especially the ones for diversity. I'm a diversity professional. Are you trying to do my job? I don't I don't need you to come and teach me about supplier diversity. That's not I don't need you to offer a course. And and Sean, don't bait me on that. Don't don't bait me. Don't go there. <laughs> Chloe, Chloe knows I will jump on the soapbox so fast after that statement. Yes. No. And I know I'm not saying that there's nothing to learn. But my no, point no. is, is don't send me a cold email talking about what about classes that you can teach. R- reach out, connect with me and tell me what you're bringing to the table that I don't already have. Right. Hey, I want to throw something else in there, too, in terms of. There is not a best single point of entry. There is not the best right person. So translate it, you should have multiple contacts into a company that, that, you're trying, that you're trying to make in addition to supplier diversity because people talk, people share information. An objective is to have everyone meeting in the center, talking about you and saying yes, giving an affirmative Right. So so the more that you can create relationships outside of supplier diversity and even communicate back to supplier diversity, we will seek this person out or this resource out so they can be your champion. And then we're going to try and take one step further than we did the last time we met or talked and route to getting you on board or in the supply chain. So there, there's not a best point of entry. So, and part of that responsibility goes back to the supplier. You have to create relationships yourself. Curtis just dropped the mic. You, you just, <laughs> this, is, this is the perfect, this is literally the perfect way to end this. <laughs> I, I know I want to be mindful of everyone's time. But that was amazing. You dropped yeah, the mic. You're absolutely right. And it goes back to doing the research about yes. the organization, too, so that you you know who's actually the buyer of whatever goods and services or solution that, you're, that they're trying to perform. And we want to help. I personally am very passionate about helping people build their businesses. 
whether they're building them with Jay Dunn or not, if I can introduce you to somebody anywhere, I'm willing to do that. If I see something awesome or meet that dynamic person, I really want to help. I'm driven to help. It's what I do. Love it. We love that about you. <laughs> but I would say Chris and Curtis are the same as well. So, yeah, oh, yes. I love that about yes. all, all this, of you. This was a powerhouse panel today. Yes, yes. And we appreciate all of you, your comments today and your insights. It was very, very, very We appreciate you guys. You guys are doing a lot, just the two of you. And well, three of you, I'm going to argue, and or four with Matt. You guys are doing a lot to pull a lot of this together and and lifting, doing the heavy lifting that we don't always get an opportunity to do. So it is our pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely our pleasure. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.